So every once in a while, when my family would get together with other family friends, I got to feel like the cool older kid and introduce things to anyone that would listen, which let's be honest, is usually the other kids at the family party. These are things that I think of as a tradition and they continue today. Text message exchanges between friends. Have you checked this out? Have you read this? Have you seen this? Have you heard this? It was one of these conversations that led me to today's album, an album, frankly, I'm kicking myself for having never heard before, and an artist that in the last 24 hours I have become obsessed with, an artist that I didn't even realize was influencing and informing my music taste when I was a young teenager watching skate videos with my friends in the attic. I'm Michael Higgins, and this week you're listening to Donuts by Jay Dilla with longtime friend and, frankly, family to me, Chris Hummel. Chris, how are you? Hey, Mike. I'm great. Um, great intro. I, <laughs> I'm, really excited. I'm really excited to talk about this, uh, this album. Yeah, so this album is your suggestion. Um, I, we talked a little bit about you coming on the show and what you might want to do. And I think you were like, oh, has Kid A already been done? I said, yes. <laughs> and well, um, go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's funny. There's a, there is, there, sorry, there's kind of a full circle thing there because I listened to, uh, I listened to you and Tom talk about Kid A. And actually you were, you introduced me to Radiohead or at least I knew you guys were really into radio. So when I first heard them, I was like, oh, this is the band that like, I can like, Tom and everyone like are, are really into. And so they must be cool. And then, and then they became one of my favorite bands it was cool hearing your experience with that as an adult. I had that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I, and I, I definitely feel that sort of thing, like in terms of, I don't know about you, but my relationship with you, I always thought like, you like, you feel like a, you know, family to me, we've grown up together, but I'm Absolutely. obviously older than you. So every once in a while I would be, I, I felt like kind of the cooler older kid to you. And exactly, I, it, it was so fun for you to be like, oh, wait, you've never heard this <laughs> for an album. It was. And I'm just like, oh, it's like, <laughs> talk exactly. about full circle, right? Like here we have the, exactly. um, the apprentice is the master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's how it felt. I was like, cool. I got to introduce Mike to something. Um, but yeah, I guess for the listeners, this came because we were, you're talking about music gear, right? I mean, that's how I first started thinking about it. Um, yeah. And there's a lot to talk about with respect to the composition of this album, gear, sampling. We can get into it. There's lots of technical stuff, and I hope people are okay with me indulging that kind of side of my, <laughs> my, 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 I guess, knowledge or whatever we want to call it. Um, because yeah. I nerd out about this stuff so much. I, I love it. I love gear and I love talking music and I like talking music gear, especially too. Right. And I, and Mike's, and you've been teaching me stuff. So Mike's been teaching me stuff like, uh, with, um, you know, about like MIDI controllers and keyboards and synths. And, uh, once I realized that he hadn't listened to Jay Dilla, I was like, oh, this is you got to hear this. And, and when, when I was thinking about picking an album for this, cause I was already kind of telling you, you should be listening to this. I was like, well, mm-hmm. donuts is not only re- relevant to all this gear talk. It's actually like for a podcast that's about like albums and like the art of the album. Oh my like, God. This, this is a, such a cool album that you can dig deeper and deeper and deeper into it. 
Yeah, if you put um, this on shuffle, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. But, but it, it really is, uh, I mean, if we're talking about the album as art, right? Not just a collection of singles or just a, a collection of songs. This album all really, even though it's 31 tracks, feels like one piece, one long mix. Um, and sure. I listened to it for the first time yesterday. I've listened to this about five times yeah. since I start since I started listening and researching it. And I've been going down the rabbit hole of Jay Dilla. And yeah. in case anybody was wondering from the intro, it, it's even in the, our text message exchange is <laughs> Jay Dilla produced Runnin' by Farside. That, yeah. uh, like that blew me away. So it, it this is this is someone who was in in my life if that makes sense um without me realizing it you know exactly. uh when i was young i didn't pay attention necessarily to producers as much um and now i do and that song by farside was one of my favorite songs in one of these skate videos that i used to always watch when i was probably 13 right. 14 years old and I had no idea that the genius behind the, the music in that song was Jay Dilla, uh, going at the yeah. at the time going by JD. So yeah, I don't know. Should exactly. we just should we just get right into it? Yeah. All right. So how this works? Each episode, a guest and I listen to and discuss one of our favorite albums in real time. Sometimes it's technical. Oh, it's definitely going to be today. Sometimes historical and almost always personal. And you at home can listen along. All you have to do is listen to the countdown and hit play on the album at the same time as the beep. And it'll be like you're listening right along with us. We're going to hang out, listen to some music and chat about it and nerd out about it. And just do that exciting thing we used to do when we were young and would actually sit in a room with friends and play records and stuff. All right. So without further ado, Donuts by Jay Dilla. Three. Two, one. Okay. We're on so outro here. We're on Donuts outro, which immediately makes me go, outro? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you and, get the backstory yeah. on that? Well, I know the entire album goes in a loop, right? Uh, yeah. Immediately when I got to the last track, I said, this sounds familiar. And I immediately... Exactly. I immediately said, "Oh, this can I can glue this right into uh, to the outro, and it goes in this wonderful circle." Um, yeah, not like a donut. A donut. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. So, track two, working on it, is two minutes and fifty-seven seconds long, and it is the longest song on the album. Uh, yeah, thir thirty-one tracks on the album. This is the longest one. Every other track on this album is less than two minutes long. Um, yeah. It almost feels to me like it's a whole bunch of like, it's this collage of sketches all yeah. knit together in this beautiful way. Exactly. It's like changing channel on the radio yes. or something. It's yes, very much like that. Yeah. Now this and album- for me, this Go ahead. When I, when I first got into this album, it was like to listen to, it was like my friends in university, 
I guess growing up in Sarnia, as we did, like I wasn't exposed to a ton of hip hop. Nope. And I met some friends in university who were super into it and got and, and introduced me to this. I used to listen to this while I was studying and stuff, like as just like background music. Yep. So it was always started with like working on it. And I'd be like, have like a blank <laughs> word document and just like <laughs> getting into the zone. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love instrumental music. I loved it a lot in university for studying. I listened to a lot of like electronic music and like whatever instrumental hip hop I could get my hands on. And all through right. high school, if I could get my hands on instrumental hip hop, it was usually by way of buying like a 12 inch single uh, right. that would have an instrumental version of the song on the B side of the 12 inch. Because right. back in high school, I was trying to learn how to scratch and mix in whatever way I knew. But okay. like you said, growing up in Sarnia, there's no scene for that. I I was literally right. the only person I knew that had and was mixing with like analog turntables, like vinyl. Right. And right. I didn't have anybody to exchange ideas with or learn from. Uh, right. I, I, I would go to the internet, but the internet was not what it is today. I would... I would buy, I would buy break records and stuff off of record stores that were in New York because I didn't know how else to get records because there was no record shop that sold vinyl, um, and I would buy VHS videos of DJ competitions to try and learn. <laughs> like to and try and follow their hands and figure out what they're doing because I had no other, I had no other means of figuring it out. Right, um, and. The big thing that I didn't know back then that I know now is how sampling works. Right. Because in my mind, it was all done with records and very quickly moving around records because that's what I was watching these scratch DJ competitions do. <clears throat> but there's like a whole history here, right? Of, of yeah. records you know, of, of drum breaks and records being looped between two turntables to kind of give like an infinite drum loop and people can dance to right. and everything for as long as you want for infinity, right? But sampling, right. sampling comes in a little later where it was like, well, we can record and play back this snippet or this loop or, or what have you from any kind mm. of record. And if you can't afford to hire a band and go into a studio and pay a whole bunch of people to play music that you may not even necessarily know how to compose, but you wanted right. music to say rap over. Right. You would get old records and you would cut out little pieces of records using a sampler and reassemble them into something new and it really is right. it's it's postmodern <laughs> it's postmodernism in like its finest is is the style of hip-hop to me it, it is it's right. it's collage and it totally. it is extremely tedious like when i was listening to this album i was thinking oh man this takes a lot of work this is very very tedious yeah. work um, yeah. recording and then shaving your sample down to the piece that you want to maybe loop, or maybe you just want a single, you want this specific snare that you hear on this. So 
Right. Or, or you and that's want... what Go ahead. And that's what he would just do is like it's incredible like how when you go back and like go to like whosampled.com on this album. I don't know if you've done that yet, but if you if oh you my gosh. listen to this and stop and just like chase down all these samples and find the little bit that he's taken out of a song, it, it just like you said, it's so it's incredibly meticulous, but he just has this ear for these brilliant little spots that he can and you want to talk about into a song. like there's another thing like whosample.com was not something that existed when exactly. I was you know, like in the early days of the internet when I was growing up. So I the, like the way that you ha- and you didn't have music at your fingertips with Spotify and stuff either. You you had to you had to dig through crates. You dig through crates for hours and hours at record shops and sit there and listen right. to old used records and you might come across some little pieces of things that you take home and you want to make something new with. Um, right. In the last song, uh, we're on track six already, stop. Uh, song five, The New, I immediately was like, oh, I know that voice. Uh, and that's Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys because he's sampling, right. uh, sampling the Beastie Boys on that song. And I believe it is also at the very opening of Working On It. Um, right. I mean, yeah, I love that. I, I didn't I, know I love, that's awesome. I always <laughs> love recognizing a sample uh, where I'm like, oh, I know that. Right. I know that. Right. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And like this song too, Stop. Um, it, did, so did you hear the backstory? Did you look into the backstory of this album and like so sort of ta- the context? Of when yeah, it was let's, made? let's talk about that. Well, you, you yeah. go ahead. Let's, because it's all very important. Yeah. So like the first, I listened to this album a hundred times without knowing the story of it backstory because i just listened to it in the, in the in the background i was absorbing the beats on their face it sounded so uh and like this song especially you know it sounds like it's just like a a sad kind of love song you learn that he was dying when he made this uh album like he had a rare blood disease uh autoimmune disease uh and 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 lupus and th- this album came out three days after uh, three days before he died on like his third, which was also his 32nd birthday, uh, yeah. the day the album came out. And then three days later, uh, he died. Um, and so he made 29 of the 31 tracks, in the hospital, like in his hospital room, he brought in a portable yeah. sampler a- and a portable record player. Yeah. A, por- so a portable like- 45 record player, like a very, like, which is a pretty small, not not it's not fancy like this is a very primitive setup right and what he has achieved with it is just i i can't stop listening to it and trying to um trying to understand some of the choices that he's making because there's very interesting there's increases and decreases in speed that you hear sometimes yeah and i'm and i just i don't know i i'm I'm like i've been analyzing this album for the last like 24 hours and i can't stop yeah i don't like i'm completely absorbed and sucked into this world that he is sort of pasting together for us um yeah and people you can hear other you know producers say the same thing like there's a 
interview with like Questlove saying like who worked with him in like the late nineties and collaborated with him and, you know, was there all the way through. And when he said it was, it was just baffling the way he could put these samples together. Like he still doesn't understand because obviously on like, on like pro tools or Ableton, like current software, you could chop this up and you could put it together like a jigsaw puzzle. But my understanding is that he's, he's just hammering these out on like touch pads. On a touch pad on yeah, using a Boss SP303, the Doctor Sampler, which immediately when I look at it, I'm like, oh, that doesn't look like an easy piece of equipment to sample using. Like, as opposed to an MPC, which are like the more traditional samplers that you see that have the big 16 square pads on it. Right. This is a much kind of smaller compact unit, which doesn't lend right. itself to actually playing, like tapping and playing the same way this is much right. more compact right and i was um, trying to wrap my head around this too, and this is why i wanted to talk to you about it because i was like is he do i have this right he's like he has eight touch pads he's taking little bits and pieces out of all these records sitting in his hospital room spinning records plucking out little samples from these um from these records assigning them to like eight little buttons and right now he is just like what we're hearing is him like rhythmically touching these pads. Uh, could be, but but like the like yes, you can ryth rhythmically touch the pads to construct a song that way, um, or you can also kind of program it right to basically run as a sequencer. One one pad may just be set and know to continually continuously loop at a certain based on a certain BPM, um, which. Right is also something that you got to sit around and figure out, right? If you're doing it in a piece right. of equipment like that, it, the equipment isn't doing any of the work for you, right? And right. this is also that thing that I, I, I'm, I'm really struck by because you're sitting there listening through records, just listening to music all day, and then going, oh, I think I, I know how I can make this work with that. And then you have to spend however long recording that sample recording this sample recording, then finally piecing it together to see if it does work as it was working right. in your head it's not like right. a guitar or a piano where you have that immediate feedback of i have an idea for a tune in my head i'm gonna try i'm gonna play those that tune on a piano and be like yeah that i do like that that it it's like no what if for every note on the piano you had to put a record down on a turntable drop a needle, hit record on a sampler, hit stop with the needle, then sit there and edit this little snippet of a recording that you've made all to get that note that you wanted, right? What if a piano right. didn't work? That, like what, that's basically what he has to do here is he has to sit there and like cut apart and reconstruct. It's, it's really, really right. tedious really rewarding right. when you find something that you like uh and you 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 get a loop that you think works i mean yeah it, there's, this, it's really this song i think is a good example of what you're talking about like time the donut of the heart is what we're on now yes. so like yes. he's found this amazing loop which i think is a jackson five song or something he's just like sped up the guitar he's like taking this nice kind of mellow guitar loop sped it up taking some of like the the harmonies and just like chop them up and just sprinkled yeah. them over top 
here and there rhythmically. And in a minute here, he's about to, he's going to crank the BPM way down and then crank it right back up again. Um, it's just, yeah. It's, it almost sounds like a sitar, the, whatever yeah. he's done to it. And mm -hmm. there. There it is, yeah. That's where that BPM, where it, kind of like okay and the vocal work on this album is very interesting too he has he does a lot of fun stuff where he just pulls like like vowels out of people's uh, uh, voices you know it's a good where point. we just get like we just kind of get notes chopped up yeah and put back together it's so true like it, we don't always get in the in this song we're actually hearing short phrases um but but other songs we just get single notes. So the, I the only way I know how to describe it is vowels. Yeah, no, it's true. It's like normally you hear someone like build up to a, like belt out a note that would be like the high point of like a melodic phrase or something. But he just like will take a piece that's right in the middle of that, like someone in mid belt, ah, like yes, <laughs> yelling, yes. and then just like and then just throw it in there. And it's jarring. And it's percussive too, right? Yeah, it's jarring and it's percussive. And it's something I hear a lot more of now in, in modern in modern music, in modern um, right. hip-hop, EDM, and like a lot of like modern indie music that has electronic uh, influence. Um, uh, what is it? I, like the XX uh, use that, right? Right. The next pair wrong glazed right now. <laughs> Um, yeah. and the next two songs after this is a sequence that I really, really like. Cause again, too. It's, it's one of those things where I'm just like the decision that he makes coming up here that I want to point out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to keep up with talking it. Cause, cause you're like, oh, there's so much to say about this minute and a half of music he just made. And then boom, you're changing the channel. So here we go. Now we're on to Airworks. And right there, there's a weird false start, right? Yeah. There, there's a weird false start there and he leaves it in. Like, it's like the needle dropped. And like, oh, wait, no, I'm going to go back. There we go. Let's try that again. And he leaves it in. I know. I know. And I mean, based on how meticulous it is, like, as you've pointed out, you know, that's a deliberate choice. Like he's, He's not just like, okay, I don't feel like ending this song or like, oops, I accidentally started the song, whatever. Like he's, everything is on purpose in this album. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's just, it, and I think it's Here, meant to create that feeling. Here's an example of those vocals uh, that I was talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, right. He's like taking like the middle of someone singing a melody and just. Yeah. Upped it in. Yeah. And so cool. And I don't know about how much of the details of like during the recording of this, obviously he's in the hospital. Does he know, like, does he know he, is he terminal while in the hospital or like, I know he's in a very bad state at times during the recording of this, but like, there are things about this album that do very much feel like, I mean, the fact that it starts with something with, with a track called outro to me seems to signify like it's a goodbye, you know? Yeah. Maybe Absolutely. I'm reading into something like that too much, but it feels like that. Oh, uh, well, I, here the more I listen to this, the more I listen to this album, the more 
I think that's the case. Like you pick, there's yeah. all these little messages that like, this was his, I, and I found out later, like from listening to people oh, here we talk go. about it, like, <laughs> he knew he was going to die. Like he knew he was going to die and this yeah. was a good buyout. Yeah. Lightworks. I mean, I love this. this and, is then this too. and then How these cool drums that come in. Yeah. And I don't know what the Lightworks sample itself comes from it almost sounds like a no idea like it, it's it, absolutely yeah. it's so you strange. know and I, this is how deep he was digging through crates like this yes. is how this is how deep he was going like where where did this come from um i mean so cool yeah i mean just taking a quick look at the at the wikipedia here it says uh you know received wide, widespread critical acclaim for its dense eclectic sampling and its perceived confrontation of uh mortality right yeah and yeah. rolling stone has it ranked uh in 386 in their top 500 albums of all time mm. um which is often like is is a is a list that they often revisit um also speaking of right. revisiting um pitchfork when this came out revisited it um or sorry they they revisited it uh five or six years after it came out when it came out they gave it a 7.9 and then they revisited it uh in 2012 and gave it a 10 interesting Interesting. They basically yeah. looked back and they were just like, no, you know what? Like, uh, here yeah. we have um, uh, Nate Patron of uh, Pitchfork wrote, it's widely praised. Uh, it, it is a widely praised favorite for so many. And yet there's something about donuts that feels like such an intensely personal statement. Yeah. Q called it a exactly. tour de force in postmodern beat making. I mean. Yeah. Th there's. No, exactly. There's something just when I start to get the idea of a song, he mix he moves on to the next thing. Yeah. Oh, exactly. You know, he never he doesn't linger on anything. And he's just like, if you want to linger on it, I don't know, go go get a sampler and, and loop it and linger on it yourself. I got I got yeah. work I got work to do. Like like it, it seems like um uh, like it, it just seems like somebody just like obsessively trying to get lot a lot down on the page because yeah that's, he he, he that's sort true. of he sort of knows where things are going with his life um and yeah just like all these ideas in his head and yeah. i just the idea that he just did not stop working um i don't know this last 24 well, hours like it, it, it's gonna sound really cheesy but the last 24 hours of listening to this album have been really like influential to me. Um, there's this, yeah. I don't know. I have, there's a certain motivation that this album is giving me that I don't know how to describe it. That's cool. I know what you mean. It is absolutely inspiring. I had the exact same, like you're talking about the reviews revisiting it. Like I said, I listened to this a hundred times and I already loved it as an instrumental album and then completely rediscovered it. And I was like, this this album has completely new meaning. Yeah. When you realize it was someone like staring down his own mortality and yeah. saying, not only saying goodbye to the world, but saying like, look what I look what I can do, look what I did, yeah. look look at like it's kind of like the last 
like the the death throes of a of a genius just being like this is who i yeah. am you know yeah it's a, it's a swan song and it, it's like yeah. there's so i know there's so much more that has come out uh since his death um and various remixes and various rarities and stuff that have been released but but like there's something that's probably for me part of the reason i don't think i realized that he had passed away because there's so much music out there that has come out since this album so it wasn't yeah. until like i'm listening and then i start research I'm halfway through the album when i open up and start researching and i'm just completely blown away i also just love the yeah. variety of people um that this this album matters to right here we go 2007 uh, guest col columnist Panda Bear of Animal Collective stated that Donuts right. was, quote, by far the album I've listened to most over the past year. And I feel like almost any of the songs off there I could say is my favorite. Wow. I mean, wow. yeah. it, it's there, there's just so many amazing just like ideas and things happening. And it's also what I love about the art of sampling and this kind of like collage work uh, of sampling is it's also the artists like ode to the music that they love and to the music that yeah. influences them hearing something yeah. and then exploring it and hearing it a different way and chopping it up and making it something of your own. It's totally. amazing. And I get, I mean, he, and he grew up on Motown, right? Like I was, his dad was like a jazz bass player and knew people at Motown Records and his mom was yep. a singer. And he played all these instruments as a kid. He grew up in Detroit, not far from us, actually. Like yeah, only yeah. an hour this away from Sarnia. It was and just like Detroit. Like, he, like it, it was so close. Like there's, I'm a little kid in Sarnia and there's this, this young guy in Detroit putting beats together in his basement. Yeah. And I had no, no exactly. idea, like, and you would have no idea the influence that that somebody that you maybe haven't heard of can have on you. Yeah, and like the Motown too. Like, I mean, I, I remember growing up hearing a lot of Motown on the radio and stuff, just because we got all this Detroit radio in Sarnia. Oh my god! And yeah. Uh, yeah, and like this, even this song too can win. Like, I think this. I don't know if this was a Motown song, but a lot. There's tons of Motown on in his discography, but especially in this album and yeah it feels like nostalgic in the same way that i feel kind of nostalgic about motown music like you can feel the i think the nostalgia in this album oh yeah I, this next song by the way don't cry is yeah like, I, I think not. really encapsulates <laughs> yeah it really encapsulates <laughs> the album a, a, as a whole you know um his mother is visiting him every day in the hospital and bringing yeah. him crates of uh, another crate of 45s. And then he'll yeah. shuffle through it and he'll keep some and say, take the rest home. And then brought back some more the next day. Same thing. Right. And so, here I mean, we go. Of this song. Of course, like when he's, he's, we know he's close to his mother, his brother coming and visiting him. A song. And just, yeah, I can't stand to see you cry. Um, it is, uh, this song is the most, um, I, I, I hate looking, but I, I get distracted by these numbers on Spotify, but 
out of everything on the album, this is the most streamed song. It, it would appear. listen to the way he's chopping this song up. I think I think it's because like this is his skills on full display. Like what you're talking about with taking the vocals, this is like a perfect example of that. This song, he's just yes. chopped this. He's th- thrown this song in a blender and made it into a mosaic of like the coolest yeah. sounds in the song. And there's another there's another tempo change there. Yeah. Right, like it's the tempo drops again. Yeah, and then it and then back to his back mosaic. Yeah, back to his mosaic. He's like it's the songs in pieces again. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. This song reminded me of, and I had to look it up, and I was like, no, it's not. But this song reminded me of, and I'm just gonna put out to yourself and to anybody else that might be listening. Do yourself a favor, if you have Amazon Prime, check out The Small Acts by Steve McQueen. Episode mm. two is called Lover's Rock, and it was one of the most beautiful, um, one of the most beautiful films I saw last year. And I will, and I will say, Don't Cry made me think of it, and I would highly mm. recommend watching it. It's, it's just a house party in the 80s in England. Um, it's wonderful. Is that song on it or something? No, but it reminds me of a lot of the songs that are in the soundtrack. Um, it's all mm-hmm. about the, it's all, it's all about the wind. The whole series is about the Windrush uh, generation in England. Um, so it, it's like a, it, it's, it's, it's a house party um, where they're just playing all their, so there's like a whole mix of, um, of Caribbean music and ska and lovers rock is part of the genre um and it is i don't know it's a it's a great great piece of uh filmmaking he basically made five films uh all as part of a series called the small axe oh cool so we're checking out i i highly recommend it it's very good noted so Track 19, Anti-American Graffiti. So another thing too is this one has this like drum, this kind of like loose boom, boom, bop kind of like drum beat. And uh, I've I've listened to a bunch of drummers now talk about how he, like the way he played his MPC 300 or like these sampling yep. machines that we've talked about and his, what is the SP-303? These, these instruments that have like the touch pads, he, he played it like an instrument. Like he took it yep. and was like, turned off all the the, quant- the quantization, I think it's called, right? Where it like locks it into, basically it takes the drum beat and locks it into the To like the 16th beat. note. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Yes. Yep. The exact beat, and he just turned all that off and was like, "No, this is like this is a drum kit that I play with my thumbs," and he played it like a he played it like an instrument and became like a virtuoso on it. Like people talk about him like he's like the John Coltrane of that device. Amazing uh, to the extent where like actually, and this song's a good example of it too. The kind of loose drumming. Some of the drummers that worked with him like. There's one jazz drummers like Kareem Riggins is this one guy I got into after from Jay Dilla and another guy, Chris Dave. Yep. They're, they say that their drumming was shaped by 
Jay Dilla from working with him because he was basically a drummer, but on a different yeah. instrument. So they, they're, like, it changed. And Questlove says this too, like it changed the way I drummed. Like I loosened up my drumming um, because, because of the way he loosened up. Yeah. And, and because of the way, you know, the quantization works, it's like these things with old drum machines and don't get me wrong. I love drum machines, but yeah, they're very quantized. Yeah. The sequencer is right. 16 steps usually tick, 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 tick. Right. And then you can turn right. on, you can turn a, a swing uh, up and down to get a kind of thing going on. But right. But there's still something that just like your ear knows it's not when it's not human. Right. Um, and, and I'm not saying that there's anything like wrong with, I think drum machines have their own place and I, I have drum machines and I love them, but taking samples and constructing them in this way, how would you even know whether or not it's a drummer or, or him? He's done such a great job. It's so smooth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Smooth and loose. Like you said, loose is the right word. Yeah. And, and it's funny in the course how... of doing it. Sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. In the in the course of doing that, it's like he took that swing and he pushes it. Some of the songs are on Gobstopper now. I don't know if this is the best example of it, but like he swung it so far out of like the pocket of the beat, but still managed to maintain a kind of rhythm, like a that it's actually like a style of uh, like a completely different style of of like a different approach to rhythm. Like it's actually like a loose, like have you ever listened to Catronata? No. There's a song, there's a song that Cream Riggins plays on called Bus Ride, where he does this like really loose stuttery, like, like I can't, I can't do it with my mouth, but like mm-hmm. where he's playing the drum in this really loose way. And for after hearing interviews, I'm like, oh, that's Jay Dilla. Like that's, he's playing the drums because of the way they did like took this other instrument right and just yeah it's so interesting how you know music technology informs music which informs technology which informs music there's this cycle that is always going on right yeah if if you put any record on a on a turntable most turntables have a 33 and a 45 mode and if you take a 33 record um an r&b record and you turn it on on 45 and loop that, you would get um, what we know is like drum and bass music. But it's right? And it's just, what if we sped that up? But then you now have drummers that have grew up listening to that music and said, well, I want to learn how to play like that. And are now playing drums, playing these things that you would never have thought to have played because somebody, somebody turned the speed up on a turntable. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, And it's, it's that sort of same idea here, right? Where, well, I'm going to play this thing the way I know how to play it. And then other people are going to hear that and go, oh, I want to play drums like that, even though they're not actually drums being played. <laughs> it just, there's like this ongoing, I don't know. It's it, right. super nerdy, I know, but I just, I love this stuff. No, that's totally, that's exactly, you put it, 
put it really well. That's kind of probably what I was trying to say too. Yeah. Um, the last song, One for Ghost, uh, is on a Ghostface Killer from the Wu-Tang released that, took that and, and oh. raps over it in fish scale. Um, I forget what the song is called. Whip you went with you with a whip you with a strap. Uh yeah. whip me with a strap when I was bad or whatever that yeah. Was. And it's like again, it feels like this very I don't know. There's something, there's something about, I mean, the original song certainly sounds like it comes from a very real, like memory kind of place. Right. It's like, very, um, and, and, you know, so it's sort of like, again, there's like this sort of reflection on life, reflection on where you came from. Yeah. I just, I wrote down a whole bunch of names when I started scrolling down notes for this. Under Jay Dilla, I wrote The Far Side, Runnin', Madlib, Detroit, Proof of D12, Tribe Called Quest, Q-Tip, Alishi Muhammad, JD, as in yeah. Jermaine Dupree, or Jay Dilla, Beastie Boys. I like, I'm th- watching this sort of web of connections that yeah. this man had to so many artists that I love and I never knew. I didn't yeah. know we worked with Tribe Called Quest, which exactly were. A group that I discovered watching skate videos and the people that you looked up to were these skaters in these videos and this was the music they were listening to so you listened to that and it just it, it feels like during this album I'm just like oh there seemed to be a through line in a whole bunch of music mm. that I grew up listening to and I think it might have been his influence that he's connected yeah. to all these people. Um, there's really. a ton of stuff that he did with with Q-Tip where he wasn't really properly, wasn't really in, individually credited uh, for it because it was like part of a production group uh, that consisted right. of him, Q-Tip, and one other person. And I don't recall the name off the top of my head. Aquarians? Was that, or no, that was, uh, was that Soul Aquarians? Or, or no, the Slum um, Village one? There's there a couple different. It, it, it might have been. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm I like this one too. By the way, the factory. I do, and um, there's constantly there's that sort of siren that keeps happening throughout the album. Yeah, I wonder what. So that's I, a thing. That's a thing with him. Eh? That's like a calling card. Like if you listen, oh, that's all through his discography. It's like uh, like on beats that he's produced and stuff. You'll hear that siren, and it's like oh, okay, okay. You know, it's a Dilla beat. Yeah, but it happens a lot in this album. I like the idea of a sign of like a producer having a signature like that. Yeah, um, exactly. Me too. Oh man. No, you're right. Like the influence, like even like Kanye, Pharrell, like yeah. talk about him. Like uh, he's put play with like produced stuff for Raekwon, Ghostface. You were we were talking about MF Doom and Madlib. Apparently, well, like Madlib and Jay Dilla were like kindred spirits. Uh, yeah, they. They wrote a lot of really awesome stuff together too. And you're asking me about, well, do you, are you familiar with JDL? And I said, oh, not really. And you're like, do you know Madlib? And I was like, oh, I haven't, there's a Madlib album in, in the mail on its way to my house right now. Cause like I, yeah. I bought a bunch of records cause I like to support my local record store. Everybody go buy records and support your re- local record store. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I got, I got one of the, the mad villain, uh, uh, records, um, which was Madlib and MF Doom, 
uh, did an album together. And then like a couple years after it came out, Mad Lib just like revisited and remixed the entire thing. Right. So he just put new music behind ever all of it. <laughs> it was just like cool. All right. <laughs> right. Um, and there's a certain um, there's a certain quality to it. And I'm like, and I've realized I'm like I, I didn't I didn't know the term for it, and I do now. And it was always the style of hip hop and the style of hip hop instrumental that I always liked was lo-fi yeah. hip hop. And exactly. Jay Dilla is quoted as being the, or considered to be the quote, godfather of lo-fi hip hop. Yeah. And this is, yeah. every, and like, I see, I hear this and I think, I, you know, I, I, I also see connections to DJ Shadow, who's like mm -hmm. one of my all time favorites. And to me, I was like, oh, I thought that like DJ Shadow was like all the instrumental hip hop there is. Like, you know, it's so yeah. hard to find just like straight up instrumental albums because the focus usually tends to be on the MC and on the lyrics. And mm. so when you sent this to me, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do like a lot of research. I'm going to, and I'm probably going to want to read through the lyrics for this whole album. And I sort of listened to it and I went, oh, it's instrumental. Okay. I can talk yeah. about this. And then I, was yeah. through, <laughs> I I'm like, oh yeah, I never talked about this all day. Yeah, so exactly. I, we're now on track 28, high, high, <laughs> and high, and it's like, I don't know, there's like a little dream state going on here. Yeah. These and are again, some, some of these there's like a that you think weird really tempo to... thing that happened there. Yeah. Actually, I don't he even know if it's a tempo, tempo or if he just, if he just goes into like a halftime thing just for one bar, just one bar. And then we're back in, yeah. you know, still. Yeah, slow. No, exactly. And that does make it feel dreamy, right? It feels like you're like, yeah, early conscious or something. And I mean, and this is another song where you're like, how now we're I mean, on the called, track 29 by 29 by. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, obviously that's, that has to be a message. Right. And there are yeah. lyrics in this kind of like, I think he just says, I feel, uh, I feel like it's kind of these cryptic sentiments, but you, you can tell yeah. he's saying, and the third last song on the album is by like, you know, that the album is, is saying exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, and you can even like, you can hear the crackle of, of the records <laughs> on yeah. this one too, yeah. which is something I always <laughs> like. There's something that's just sort of like a, uh, Again, tempo, bum, 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 yeah. and, and picks back up. I, I, yeah. it's, I, I don't know how to describe those things that he does with the tempo. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> no, it's so, it's so tactful. Like, it, like it's so, um, it's not, it feels organic, right? Like, that's, I think, yeah. what makes him so special is like it's it's not just that he was turning the bpm up and down it's yeah. it really feels like you know there's a there's a human like pulling strings um the the b for by by the way is also used on his album the shining on the track so oh. far to go uh which is one of i think the according to spotify one of his most well-known songs uh featuring common and d'angelo 
Uh, so the song's called right. So Far To Go. Check it out. It uh, it uses the same loop as Pi. We're now on the last you, donut of the night. Yeah. And I like the idea of like donuts, like you said, the album is a circle, but it's also, it's a loop, right? Like a, a drum, like a drum loop, a sample loop, a break. This is the last, this is the last one of the night. And we're coming to yeah. a close. And it's, I'm sad. Um, I know. And you got to think like, how did that feel for him? Like sitting in his hosp- hospital room, putting this, album together knowing it was going to be the last piece of music he ever puts out like while he's alive at least there's some posthumous stuff yeah this is his last kind of message to the world like this must have felt that's unimaginable how this felt for him i know i i really i really can't imagine and i I think don't you think like the the way it's structured as a loop the last two songs like there's last donut of the night but after that it's welcome to the show I, I don't know this for sure, but I kind of think that's got to be a, a metaphor. Welcome to the show is saying like, the show's not over because I'm gone. Like, yes. This, yes. This goes on. There's some kind of eternity message here with like yeah. the looping into the first track again. Don't you think? Yeah. I think that there is very much, I think that's, I think you expressed it perfectly. I think that is a, that's what I get out of it. Um, Welcome to the show goes directly into outro and we continue this for infinity. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to do something as we come to the close of this album. Uh, I'm going to ask you not to hit stop on Spotify because I would like to know what comes up next for you because it's different for everybody. And I always like to know. Okay, so like on the radio, just like let it play out? Just let it play out. Don't touch a thing. And now we're back right here in the loop, in that strange little loop that begins the album. And we right. come and it, seem- it seamlessly goes back if you... It seamlessly goes back to the first track. If you were to like play repeat or like turn Spotify and repeat, it would go back to the first Mm-hmm. Uh, tracks seamlessly uh but now i'm i'm distracted by the next song that's come up on my spotify radio which is the call by madlib okay so it came <laughs> up on the madlib so it brought me right back to the middle of the album with lightworks oh really <laughs> yeah yeah it did it did i think because it was just like well i think he wants to listen to this all day because that's all he's been doing <laughs> um spotify knows well, yeah, it's. I'm always curious because it, it can be so different uh, when Tom and I listen to Kid A. I think The Strokes played at the end for me, um, and Neutral Milk Hotel oh, played at the end for him. So it, it seems like, you know, it's always very much based on what you're listening to, but also what you have listened to. And I'm always curious to see what the album or what the uh, algorithm brings up for, 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 my, for my guests. Yeah. It's Madlib, uh, the album he just made this year with uh, Fortet. Have you have you heard that? Sound Ancestors? No. <laughs> like, just came out. I, I'm like with Fortet. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> uh, oh, I do. I, so I think I, I might. I may have started listening to it yesterday, but I'm gonna give it a listen. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I didn't know he did this with Fortet. I I. <laughs> 
might be wrong about that. I think I remember seeing that his name, Fortet's name isn't on it, but I think he was involved somehow. Oh, okay. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, uh, I am introducing you to another album. Thank you for, um, <laughs> thank you for, for introducing me to Jay Dilla, who I, I didn't know I, I already knew. But right. I, I, I'm so happy I know him by name now. Um, and yeah. I'm looking forward to buying some records because I, 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 I'm definitely going to. Uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'll send you some of my other favorite beats because he has... Donuts is amazing as a work, but my I would say my top three favorite Dilla beats aren't on Donuts because um, they're just scattered among his other discography. And Okay. I'll send you a few, like, some some cool stuff. I would I would love that. Please do. Um, any any last any final thoughts? Oh, I just this was fun. I liked uh, listening through this, and also it gave me like it's cool to rediscover this because I like first got into this it was like two thousand nine. Every once in a while, I listened to it, but actually, it was fun to like do a deep dive into the album, and like I watched a couple like YouTube documentaries on it too, and learned some stuff I didn't know before. So it's that's cool. I, I, really, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, well, I, I, you know, well, <laughs> thank you. And <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm so happy that I am doing this podcast because uh, I'm very quickly finding uh, people come on and say, can I do this? Can I do that? And, and my answer is always, what's that? Yes. <laughs> or yes. So what is that, by the way? And so I've had a few, I've had a few records now that I've never heard before. And this is, uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm having a real moment with this one. And I, I, I like, I don't know how to describe it. I'm, I'm just, I'm completely enthralled uh, right now. That's good. That's and the best case. I'm, yeah. So, really so thanks it's to cool, like. <laughs> in the, just to be a little full circle in the, in the same way that like you probably watched me like discover like um you know when you were like oh i can't wait to share this with like this younger lens like kids who are like five years younger than me and it must have been cool for you to watch like kids younger than you or teenagers younger than you like discover stuff like that for the first time that's how it feels to watch you experience donuts. I'm like, yes, yes. It's, isn't it awesome? Don't you love it? <laughs> like, yeah, it's cool yeah, to watch someone yeah. discover something for the first time, you know? It's, it's, it's one of my favorite things. I mean, the number of times I've watched like a movie or rewatched a show with somebody that's never watched it. I'm like, Oh, you haven't seen that before. Oh, we should watch that. Yeah. And, and then you find yourself not watching the movie, but you're just watching someone else react to the movie that you like. And hoping yeah, that exactly. really hoping that they like it as much as you do. Um, yeah. and yeah, uh, you're I, like, I can't, so, I can't experience it for the first time again, but I can watch you experience it for the first time. There's something about, and there really is something about experiencing something for the first time, because especially our generation, yeah. there's so much that, uh, in, in popular culture that we will never get to experience for the first time because it's just kind of part of the, the, the yeah. zeitgeist, right? Um, you know, I, th that's, I could do an entire podcast just about that idea. I love talking about it, but alas, yeah. that's not what this podcast is about. The album has come to an end and therefore our conversation must as well. Um, but we can still keep talking offline. That's fine. 
we can, and we'll, sure. I'm sure we're going to keep exchanging music uh, going into the future. Cause I mean, what a pull uh, this was. I'm, I'm just, I'm so happy that, that you suggested this. Um, it's and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm probably going to like s- start making crappy beats again now. And, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't mind, you know, I don't mind that they suck. I don't mind that they're not any good. They're just fun. You know, it's, it's, it's fun to kind of go through yeah. the, the process. Right. Um, and it's what Dilla would want you to do. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, um, you know, I'm, I'm sad that I, I didn't know more about him when he was alive, but I am grateful that I have been exposed to him now. So um, so thank you, Jay Dilla, and thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. It was great. All right. We'll talk to you later, okay? All right. Talk to you later, Mike. Your Listening To is brought to you in association with Wicked and Fun Co. Check out their weekly D&D podcast, Something Wicked, which I happen to edit. You can also watch their live stream on Twitch at Something5E. Five years. For the DD fans out there. More of the gang from Something Wicked will be joining me on future episodes to chat about their favorite albums. You can also find the show on Instagram and Twitter at Listening to Pod. So feel free to reach out and if you like the show, take a minute to rate and review it on iTunes. I'm I'm told it helps. Thanks for listening.